All right, so episode 24 of the All Around Podcast, talking TV and film. Uh, finally face-to-face, first time face-to-face for this yes. one. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, Dad, did you watch anything lately? No, I have not watched anything lately, unfortunately. Okay, so I saw first two episodes of HBO show Succession uh, on the flight down here. Um, well, no, I actually watched the first two episodes of the night before. Then I watched two more on the flight down here. Um, now, that is the Rupert Murdoch analog. I guess it's the that's what it's supposed to be. It sounds okay. accurate. Um, very, uh, very quick, snappy. Uh, takes a little bit to get going, but... Um, yeah. uh, supposed to be after the fourth or fifth episode it really picks up and the four, the first four or five episodes is laying the groundwork right exactly i think there's a lot of stuff they try you know being the ceo or being on the board of a multinational conglomerate it's like they try and you got to get the layman on board to watch it so they got to explain some things first but executive produced by adam mckay and it's interesting to see kind of where he's going uh like after kind of you know he does Anchorman 2 and then he does the big short and then he's kind of doing this did he do Vice or is that someone else who did Vice mm, I don't know I know um, he's isn't he attached to one he's attached to a movie we're going to talk about I think later uh, yeah I believe so yeah, but, which is definitely not a comedy yeah no really good so far um, very uh, acerbic is that how I'm pronouncing that right jokes yes yes um, just very cutting and to the point. Uh, but it's also kind of a thing of, you know, you try to figure out if everyone, every one of the main characters, are they assholes or are they really like, do they just have that front and they're really good people at heart? Um, so there's that kind of thing. But, uh, we can get to the first couple stories. Mm-hmm. So it, Basically, looking at HBO Max, Netflix, and Quibi. Mm-hmm. So, Quibi shuts down after six months, uh, ending $2 billion streaming experiment. AT&T reports 8.6 million HBO Max activations in quarter three, while Netflix missed their subscriber and earnings forecast in quarter three. Uh, where did you want to... Let's start with Quibi. Okay. So, there was a long article that came out a few months ago... Um, sort of about the behind the scenes at uh, Quibi. Um, and I'm trying to remember, I don't know if it was the rap or it might've been the rap is what it was, but maybe it came out two to three months ago as um, while I think that Quibi, um, the public generally speculated that we did not know how good an idea this was going to be, but there was a willingness to wait and see due to Jeff Katzenberg and Meg Whitman's being attached to it. Um, but when that article came out, that was sort of, um, the, the, the nails for the coffin, uh, being purchased. Um, you know, the biggest takeaway from that was Jeff Katzenberg, uh, printing off, having all of his emails printed off, folded and put on his desk. That's how he dealt with his emails, which, which speaks to how really in touch with, uh, today's youth he is and the way he wait that's a real thing that's that's a real thing oh wow um the way he does business and and at the beginning when quibi was sort of concept being concept sold by meg whitman and 
Jeff Katzenberg. Um, so I know what Jeff Katzenberg's famous for. What is Meg Whitman? Meg Whitman, um, among other things, most, you know, probably her, the thing she's most famous for was she was CEO of eBay for a long period of time. Okay. I want to say she ran for senator. No, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I think she ran for public office at a national level in California. I don't want to mix her up with Carly Fiorina. Uh, but I think she ran for senator in California and lost. Um, I don't know whether as a, as a Republican or not. Um, I, and obviously Katzenberg, most recent, you know, he came up in Disney, but most recently DreamWorks, which right. is where he partnered up. And kind of the last thing he did with DreamWorks was sell off DreamWorks Animation Studio to NBC Universal for about three and a half billion dollars. Right. And that was kind of his last hurrah and, and and I think people looking back on that frankly uh, think that uh, Katzenberg DreamWorks got lucky getting that ma- that amount of money from NBC Universal and considering that they don't really mine that IP anymore they're mining the shit out of Minions and Despicable Me yes from Illumination yeah. yes so he decided to start this up but y- you know I think when you talk about the sh- first of all there's incredible mistakes. So Katzenberg and Whitman raise a billion and a half to two billion, call it $2 billion. I think it's a little under 1. 2 billion. 1.8. 1.8. Yeah. To start this platform up. Um, you know, the, the concept behind Quibi was 10 minute shows um, yeah, 10, that could 10, 10 only minutes. be viewed on uh, your, cell phones. Yeah, you phone. could not cast it to a television. There was no TV, corresponding TV app. Uh, that is the only way it could be viewed. Now, 69-year-old Jeff Katzenberg's really in touch with the kids. So he knows what they really like. <laughs> my, my impression is I just see some 65-year-old guy who spent all this time you know, greasing town everywhere, looking around and seeing young people looking at their phones all the day, sending texts, saying, well, obviously this is the way to go. Um, fine, you know. They're trying to create a new platform paradigm for viewing. Um, my biggest, so then, okay, after that article is written, it's pretty clear that, you know, while they threw a billion eight in it, they never got more than $3 million in streaming revenue uh, put towards them. Mm. And so they needed to turn profitable fast. And I'll get into that a little later. But, but here is the most critical mistake he made. So Quibi, so, un, so shows like Netflix mm-hmm. and Amazon, Services. and or, I'm sorry, streaming services like Disney, Netflix, Amazon, when they have original content that is created that they pay for, they keep it. Quibi basically paid for all this content to be made and only had a two-year licensing agreement on it. After two years, after this content was made, it could revert anywhere, so they owned nothing. When Quibi was trying to sort of sell its bones to takers, as soon as they looked into it, those potential takers looked into it and realized that these shows aren't theirs. All, the, all they did was pay for shows to be created and license it for two years, and after that, it's done. Um, 
then, okay, what value is there in that? And it's and probably, that's why... It's probably a big reason why they got some talent on board pretty fast. But that's probably why, like, you know, Steven Spielberg had that horror show he produced that was on there or whatever. And it was probably like, yeah, well, it's low risk. It's like they're paying me to make it. And, you know, if this thing hits, well, two years from now, it's going to be mine. So right. right. But But unless you come out of the box... Unless you come out of the box just making a ton of money, that's not a sustainable business for Quibi. Right. And so while Jeff Katzenberg might be a content guy, um, you know, he was a bit he was a tastemaker um, back at his time at I'd say Paramount and Disney when he was a lackey of uh, Eisner, certainly a Paramount. Um, Fine, but does he really know anything about capital allocation and sustainability of a business? And where do you go from here? And you can scream to the high heavens about how this is such a fantastic idea. And that might resonate with potential investors to throw money in. But young people want want stuff that's going to work for them. And... Well, the other thing is, like, people who watch things on their phones, it's not the primary viewing device. That is always the compromise. Not compromise, I should say, but that is always the... Well, it's always, hey, been, it's always been the complimentary yeah, to the exactly. primary. That's perfect. Yeah, right. Com- that's always been the complimentary uh, aspect to it. Whereas normally it is, like, you know, iPad, laptop, and TV. You know, like right. even if you're home, if you got an hour to kill or whatever, and the TV's being used, you'll set up your iPad or something, fine. But usually it is when you are at home, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, get a couple episodes of Stranger Things in or whatever. Um, but also, I just remember Quibi being a thing. I remember I was listening to the Real Blend podcast, and they were just kind of like, I don't know. They, you know, one guy was kind of interested. He's like, yeah, it's like 15 minute bites, Steven Spielberg's horror thing. You could only watch it at night. And it was like, that's dumb. Like, it's just, that's not, it's so gimmicky. And that, I think that's how the whole service well, was. It's so gimmicky. Well, and, so, and so Quibi, as an idea, this really specialized way of viewing stuff, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily going to say that that's not a bad thing to experiment on. But if you look at the major streaming services now, um, you know, you've got some streaming services that don't have to make any money. They can lose billions of dollars a year, and it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, like that, that was the Amazon other, Prime. Yeah. Like that, Apple TV. That was the other thing about what they said is, like, literally Quibi comes, you know, less than a year after Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus enters a game that already has Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. Right. And it's just kind of like, like you said, these are companies that can afford to lose all this money oh, and off of that one service because they have these other uh, aspects of their business that make them a ton of money. So, and Quibi doesn't, but I saw it said included what's owed to creditors. It said that about $350 million will be left from the roughly $1.8 billion in capital. Yep. And they'll um, return that to their investors. And there was an, an executive that no one seemed to find a show they fell in love with. It, Lack of hits. Well, well, that might be true, but at the same time... It, even if they did... Even if, even if there was real good lasts. stuff on there, no one saw it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, now, 
I think a way that this could work is let's say Google. And it wasn't free, was it? No, it cost six ninety nine or seven ninety nine a month. No, yeah, it, it wasn't, wasn't free. It wasn't ads board or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. You had to pay right out the box. So, and yeah. there was no like thirty day free trial period. They couldn't. Yeah. They frankly couldn't afford to. Right. But if one of these streaming services, cre- and and they're not going to, but let's say they went to Google, who's got YouTube, and maybe Katzenberg went to the person, the chick, Susan Wojcicki or whatever her name is, and says, hey, how about we create a vertical inside YouTube or YouTube TV that is just specific to this? And Katzenberg says, let me run it. Well, Google can throw money at this. I mean, Google, even though they have YouTube TV, they're charging 60 bucks a month. I'm sure they're not making any money at it. So still. So um, they're losing money. Great. They could afford to lose money there. I think some of that, though, is Katzenberg's not trying to work for anyone. He wants to. He, he wants the final word on stuff, and that would not work. Oh, really? He wants the yeah, final word yeah, on stuff? Yeah. But, but, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying that, uh, you know, you know, this as an idea or a concept of viewing, I'm not saying I, I, I give them credit for trying something different. The reality is you need to have billions of dollars to continuously throw at it if you're going to compete with other streaming platforms because they those outfits got it. Right. They got the money. Well, and that's so. the thing. It's like, you know, you look at a company that like Netflix that needs to go into all this debt. But the thing was, what Netflix was doing is because they were the the innovator, right? Quote unquote. They weren't even. They were came before the early adopter. They were the innovator because they're the first one. It's like, well, the subscriber base was growing at such a fast clip. Yeah, you're gonna. You will afford to pour that money because you see well, the growth. But but right. I mean, they will have the ability to raise capital because people see potential. Right. Exactly. And the thought is. But I'm, what I'm saying is, if Netflix like. If you contrast it to if Netflix was trying to come in the game the same time as Quibi did, when you have Disney Plus and or let's say Amazon Prime got was the first one to get that start, and then you have Disney, you have Apple right. TV Plus, it would be extremely and hard for an organic for, for one Netflix. to start, right? Yeah, because, because they didn't, have right, that. right. Well, well, because it's like you need to have billions as an independent company, mm-hmm. you need to have billions of dollars to throw at it, and the only new entrance to that, it serves. I mean, it's really just. In my opinion, it's just Apple TV is kind of the only really new entrance that's trying to make original streaming content that that is going to and has has that is, money to throw that is going to be of the caliber that is truly the start of something because the thing is with right. Disney and HBO Max and, they have so much content they can just throw up there automatically. Well, correct, but Apple TV can could go a hundred years in perpetuity and continue to lose money in this business. Be- you know, because it's Apple. Right, because they've got almost $200 billion in cash on the balance sheet. Right. I mean, they've got cash to burn. Um, um, you want to talk about HBO? Ye- sure. Uh, so, yeah, so I know on a previous episode I said they only had $4.1 It was actually, it was those were the amount of activations in the last quarter. It wasn't the amount of subscriptions for HBO, like startup subscriptions for HBO Max. So I was wrong on that. That was probably like episode four or something. Uh, as of September 30th, AT&T reported 38 million subscribers to both HBO and HBO Max. Globally, it's 57 million subscribers. Uh, I saw in the article AT&T debt down to $149 billion from $180 billion yep. two years ago. Yep, and they need to continue to sell off assets just and to shop. they are shopping DirecTV. I, I don't know who's trying to buy DirecTV. 
Oh, someone may. I just don't know. They're just not. What are you going to get? Yeah, they're not going to get a lot of money. How much did they pay for it? 60? 60 something. Yeah, 60 something billion. And it was probably only Uh, worth, based on a future cash flow valuation at the time, probably 15. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't ask. Uh, So, so the one thing I, the one thing I was looking up is that they are a little fast and loose with the way that they describe the way that they talk about. Well, the number of subscribers, from what I understand in that earnings report, they only talked about their domestic subscriber base as compared to their worldwide. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Game of Thrones was kind of peaking. They had 93, in the 90 million worldwide subscribers. That is down, um, kind of because there's, that speaks to how, wow, a lot of people only subscribed for For Game of Thrones. Which Um, is why they're trying to get that spinoff off the ground. I... Well, I think it's an outstanding network. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what they should do with their strategy here, um, simply because. Fine, I'm, I'm, I'm more so thinking about HBO and the strategy that they are going towards, um, especially with so Peacock, is in the game. While it's not an elite thing, they allow for live streaming of NBC networks, like. And, right. and it's ad supported. And I'm wondering if HBO Max, as the cable decides to debundle, and it's now going to be rebundled as a handful of streaming services, do they take some of their um, networks like TNT, TBS, other networks that they own, and throw that into HBO Max, stream it live? into that as part of their service going forward well, the all for live streaming channels the first thing they need to do and I'm not saying this is going to be so, this. I'm not saying this is going to contribute to oh you're going to get 15 million extra whatever they really need to start putting the Cinemax shows on there yeah like and I'm not this isn't just like me pounding the ga- the table for the Nick even though yes I do want the Nick on there but like even like you know Strike Back or uh, I think I don't think Rectify was on there Rectify might be a Showtime show uh, but like those action series that they want to put on there so bad or that they want for Cinemax, like you bundle that in. I mean, hell, it's called HBO Max. And I'm sure, I don't know if Max well, was, Max wasn't a Cinemax thing, but it's called Max because I think it's like to the max. But it's like just, I mean. Well, they're not going to do that because there's people that subscribe to Cinemax. They get an extra, they get more money from them. But what's weird is, like, I don't know how many Cinemax subscribers there are that don't also subscribe to HBO. Right. Where there's a ton of HBO subscribers that don't subscribe to Cinemax. Um, as, as HBO Max asserts, has the ability to assert more pricing power when they get up to a Netflix level of subscriber base or approaching, you know, they could likely justify... Okay, it's five bucks more a month, but you get all this, and they add. But they're gonna have to add. It can't just be Cinemax. It's gonna have to be other stuff. Like, you know, you can stream these five networks that we own. Do they own Nick? Do they own Nickelodeon and or something like that? Pretty sure it's Viacom. That's Viacom, but yeah. but they have a. I think they have a few kids. Time Warner under that uh, family has. I mean, there's WB Animation. Like they have stuff. No, no, no I'm thinking. Sh- Oh, you're talking live about channels. 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 Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they have something. Um, I, you, you know, I'm, I, I'm. 
Good. I'm happy to see HBO Max is, is taking bring, off. That's where you bring back Looney Tunes. Yeah, it, okay, yeah. So I'm, Looney Tunes back in the day is some is still some of the funniest stuff. I, I don't know how many people. I mean, you yeah. Need, how many you people need, are going to subscribe? You need to have people that are proactively subscribing the way that people proactively subscribed for HBO mm-hmm. simply to see Game of Thrones. Hey, Snyder Cut. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, but so uh, also Netflix missed their subscriber and earnings forecast. Uh, they forecasted two and a half million new subscribers. They only got two point two million, and most of that's overseas. I think they were net decline here. In, in oh, like they it went down. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're talking worldwide. That was not domestic, right. and but their domestic growth is really going well. They had a net decline, and and that is just you know, there's no hits. Yeah. I mean, if they're not coming out with hit shows like Stranger Things or whatever, that that's going to motivate people to stay on. That's the thing. People can just walk away. It's like, okay, I've seen all I need to see. Um, if something comes out in three months, I'll resubscribe. Right. Uh, management, more investors in the first two quarters of 2021 are likely to be down compared with the meteoric gains of the same period in 2020. Executives are likely to feel questions during their quarterly earnings interview about recent management decisions because they streamlined basically their whole management team. Um <sighs> You know, I just I wonder what the top out number is gonna be for Netflix. Like, I, no, just I because there's I'm, there's gonna it's gonna I mean it's really slowed down. I don't know how many countries they're currently in, and they make specific programming for those countries. True. And I do not know like if they if you were to ask them how well penetrated do you think you are in countries that represent what percentage of the world and i mean let's get real they're not going to even though sub-saharan africa is the biggest growth market in the world markets you know that larger aggregate market is the biggest growth market in the world from now to 2100 i'm just i'm just kind of like who's hot to see you know is 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 the ghana or Nigerian market, like, I mean, is that something you're going to specifically make programming for? While while there's a ton of growth to be had there, at the same time, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the governments and, you know, technology there is sort of at its nascent sort of phase where it's just beginning. So, you know. It's just interesting how, like, how do you keep that content machine going? With however many shows per year to keep people interested, you're writing, you're writing, you're writing a lot of checks, but you're, you're writing checks, but you, you got to also find it. You have to, to find put hits, out. and that's the thing. Well, hits, yeah, and, but I mean, there's sort of this this gurgling cauldron of mediocrity at this point. Exactly. Uh, I think the nerd writer on YouTube he had a he had a video called like an epidemic of passable movies or something. That's and, generous. Yeah. Well, like yeah. But it's just like, but it was basically what he was saying is just there's a lot of mediocrity just because so many things are getting made. I know Ridley Scott once said in one of those Hollywood Reporter director roundtables, he's like, how, how many films do you think are getting made? I think he's talking, like Tarantino was on the uh, roundtable. He's like, yeah, there's probably like a thousand movies getting made a year. He's like, that's, you could easily say that's like 500 too many. <laughs> like, and that's Ridley Scott. Like Ridley Scott, he's been around, like he knows how everything works. But it's also uh, because looking at it from the film TV aspect side, and I do want to juxtapose that with gaming because the the whole big thing in the last fifteen years with gaming is, gaming's essentially brings in more revenue than film and television combined, 
Um, Over the course of not film tele- uh, film television and music combined. It brings in more revenue. And it's like, obviously, the price point, you know, you're paying $60 for a game and stuff like that. But it's also like, when you make that game, like, that is the game. And games really aren't that expensive to make for how many, pe- for how many people buy them. Like, uh, yeah. For example, like, one of my favorite games of all time, L.A. Noire, it's like one of the most expensive games ever made. It cost $50 million to make. Like, $50 million, And that was it. Right, but did that, did that game hit? It, it five million copies. I mean, five million copies is a hit, but it's not at fifty bucks a game. If, well, sixty, but, yeah, but you, you know it'll scale down. down. Yeah, it'll scale down. Two hundred fifty million. Okay, so two hundred fifty three hundred million. But you know, you look at GTA, which is still making money. Right, that's like got an incredibly long tail. Eight, you know, eight billion dollars, right. Right? Right, right, right? But even if you look at something like you know, so where I'm going with that is like, okay, so you have Xbox having their subscription service with Game Pass and 15 billion, and they bought all these studios. And like you said, Microsoft, big company, they can afford to lose a lot of money. But they're basically setting themselves up to have like four banger AAA games a year. And it's trying, they're basically trying to become like Disney, where Disney has like their Marvel films, their Star right. Wars films to have the, all these the bangers. Game, the game IP. Right. And ex- to just have those, hey, we're going to have a, a big IP for you every quarter, essentially. And that's the thing with Disney. And Disney's probably just going to keep going and going and going because they're just going to, hey, three months after this movie comes out, it's going to be on Disney Plus and whatever. And it's just, you're dealing, that's your competition, essentially. And that's why Bezos, Bezos was so hell-bent on getting the killer IP and he paid... What was it a billion dollars to have the rights to Lord of the Rings? So, so I saw, I read an article that talked about uh, the Irishman, and it talked about it, it. It speculated, and it kind of backed it up with um, pretty good evidence about how that movie just lost Netflix a significant amount of money. It basically said, in the best cases, maybe it, and and really when you. When you look at, okay, how are you measuring how much money a movie makes? They, Netflix, the feeling is that Netflix has the ability to um, ascribe a certain population of listeners or a lift or something like that as it relates to a well-known show or prestige show or something like that. So doing that math, if you just look at the way that their um, subscribers flowed through the company, the lift and decline um, as the Irishman came out, at best, it lost $60 million. At worst, it lost a couple hundred million dollars because not only is it the production of the movie, but it's also marketing. You're paying for the Oscar buzz and, and some other stuff. And when you look at that movie, the the outcome of that was, you know, Martin Scorsese is saying... Um, I need to make my movie. I need to make my movie. But the reality is, even before COVID hit, movie companies are not going to throw that amount of money on a Scorsese. They're not going to throw that budget at him. No. And, well, that would, I and mean, it's simply yeah. because it's just not going to be able to make that a money. And what's going to happen is that led to basically say the only real big ticket prestige, really expensive prestige movies that are not your 
blockbuster type movies like your Marvels or your or or your James Bonds or, or whatever that's got this sort of broad mass appeal. Um, they're all going to be owned by the streaming houses and, and those companies that have the, the FU money to throw at it. Um, and that's unfortunate, but I think that for Scorsese, that's just a significant amount of hubris just to say, I, I'm de- I deserve this. And I, what, are people just I mean, going to, everyone's going to line up to I lose mean, money. I, I remember just reading those articles, though, about how Scorsese wants to make this movie, he can't get funding. It was all about how it was an eighty to a hundred million dollar film. That's what it was. It was no, hold on. At the time, it was all about it's an eighty to a hundred million dollar film, and he want, needs to do de aging. He doesn't want to cast younger actors. He needs to do this de aging stuff. And I watched a little bit of the Hollywood Reporter, the most recent director's roundtable that he is on. And before Scorsese signed on with Netflix, he was on that Tarantino, Christopher Nolan train about how. Movies need to be exhibited in theaters and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, he can't get funding for his 80 to $100 million gangster film. And then Netflix picks it up. And it's like, hmm, that's the only, the only studio that would give him the money. And then all of a sudden, it was like, well, the budget, you know, it's going to be $135 million. And then it's going to be $150 million. And then it's going to be one seventy-five. And then basically, the final reported budget was about $175-$200 million. And people were like, it's more. And it's like, Netflix, I know you want to win Best Picture. I, I know that is your goal. But at what cost? The Oscars are not what they used to be. If they ever were anything to begin with. I'm just saying, the Oscars are what people ascribe them to be. But, but even if they won an Oscar, people... The idea then in Netflix's head is going to be, people are going to... More people are going to subscribe to Netflix in order to see this Oscar-winning movie. It's not like it's not, but that, Netflix it's, is going to throw been, it in the theaters. No, no, no. Yeah, it's not like Netflix. I can't see Netflix ever throwing it into a theater. Wide like, release. They'll never do wide right. release. Right. The most the the thing that they met Scorsese in the middle on was they released it in L.A. and New York and whatever for three weeks before the movie came out. And once they did that, more prestige filmmakers were willing to sign on with Netflix was when they did that. They didn't they stopped doing day and date for some films. And once they did that, some filmmakers. Now, look, if you're an Alfonso Cuaron and you want to make Roma because you can't get 20 million. Yeah, but take, it's, no, it's hold on. 20 million. No, 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 no. This is what I'm saying. If you want your 20 million to make your foreign movie with unknown actors, I get that. If you're a Netflix, 20 million Okay, twenty million. You know, you make that when you release. You make that ten times over when you release the new season of Stranger Things, and you get that spike. Mm-hmm. Fine, two hundred and whatever million dollars for a gangster film with de aging and all this stuff. Like you, you just you gotta you gotta make smarter decisions than that. And then you look at Scorsese's previous film, Silence. Again, another film that got great reviews, but it made like sixteen million dollars on a forty million dollar budget. Who saw that movie? No one. It made $16 million. See, and, and, and again, and, it's supposed to be great. And that's awesome that it's great. But no one wants to finance your films. And, you know, when he talks about it in that roundtable thing, and he basically just explains how, you know, nobody wanted to fund it. And it's like, yeah, no shit, dude. Like, the people have, it's, they want return on their investment. Yeah, but, but, but 
I know the, the artist. The hubris of the artist. I just am like, yeah. And and if you have a really billionaire benefactor that's willing to do that sort of thing, fine. So I guess Amazon, you know, you could. But these are publicly traded companies that have earnings that need to be, you know, they, they have quarterly things where, um, you know, there's just, you, you got stockholders to, to answer to. And I'm, I, I wonder how that changes if it does. So, um, yeah, I mean, well, again, it's just, that's just something that you can't, that's just something you can't, that's not a decision you you should make in the future. <laughs> like yeah, I I, I, that, I wonder if they're gonna I wonder if they're gonna tone it back. I mean, they're always gonna throw money at some well, prestige you know, stuff. I just can't see them doing it at the same budget. He's he's working with DiCaprio for Apple TV Plus on his next film. Well, there's no money there. Well, and Apple TV. You want to talk about someone who wants to win awards? Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know DiCaprio. Well, that's the thing. When you see Tim Cook and Jeff Bezos at the Golden Globes, and it's just kind of like, okay, I see why you guys are doing this. I know. I know. Um, for it's not a video podcast, but Dad just did the, the jerking off the motion. universal jo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so I didn't want to talk about the couple trailers. So there was a trailer for the next Walt Disney Animation Studios movie, Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, you mean uh, Tomb Raider meets How to Train Your Dragon meets Avatar: The Last Bear, Airbender meets The Legend of Korra and the Dragon Prince? That one. I mean, they, they basically, this looks like stolen IP out the ass. That essentially is what that white tiger that the Lion King was based on. Oh, Kimba? <laughs> yeah. Kimba and the Lion, yeah. I mean, I, I look at that and this looks shockingly derivative to me. Yeah, the official snaps long ago in the fantasy world of Kumandra, humans and dragons live together in harmony. But when an evil force threatened the land... The dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity. Now, 500 years later, that same evil has returned. And it's up to a lone warrior, Raya, to track down the legendary last dragon to restore the fractured land and its divided people. However, along her journey, she'll learn that it'll take more than a dragon to save the world. It's going to take trust and teamwork as well. First of all, too long of a synopsis. You could never sell that in a pitch meeting, ever. Um... But it's like they got Kelly Marie Tran playing the main character because I guess Disney felt bad that oh, her that r- her role was Rose, diminished. Whatever. Yeah, Rose Tico. Her role was diminished in the the Rise of Skywalker. Really? I bet. I think. I think they probably took her on because she came cheap. Yeah, that too. Uh, but it's like Guardian of the Dragon Gem. You know, once dragons and be- it's like this sounds like it's from Aragon. Remember Aragon? Yes. And you know what Aragon was pretty derivative of. Star Wars, yeah, <laughs> and uh, just, but it's like going on a quest. I just, I just like, I don't. See I mean, the I, I'm like, this is like How to Train Your Dragon type stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, wow. From the people that bought you, um, I love how in the, the the trailers from the people that brought you Moana, it's like, yes, we're gonna make another multi-culti film that's gonna hopefully appeal to everyone and. But is this like a like a like a Asian myth, like folk tale or something, or is this like an original, like story? Um, I can't. I mean, first I of all, if it, it's not really original because, like you said, it's like all those things. I, I'm. I'm. I. This just feels like to me. 
this is a big Pixar check and box type stuff. And you mean it's it's Disney trying to make a Pixar movie? Well, is this a, is it? Are they calling this Pixar? No, it's Disney it's animation. Disney. It's Disney animation. Well, it's it's Disney animation, but this feels very brave. Check the box and um and I I don't know. I I read a whole bunch of stuff online that's like, "Wow, th- these she dresses just like this person. This feels like exactly what it is." It is just it is so derivative if not stealing stuff um from other stories and it just kind of slapped together as compared to something that's somewhat unique. Um yeah. but you know uh you know, lessons learned, friends become enemies, enemies become friends. I, I, I just see it's just going to be, all right, this is another one of these. But it's and, like, well, you're right, because, like, what makes this any different from Mulan, Moana, Frozen? Uh, like, so this is, like, what, a Malaysian sort of story? I, I don't no, know. no, it takes place in some mythical sort of kingdom, but with these sort of weird Eastern, um, you know, broadly Eastern sort of, uh, oh, Aquafina's in it. Oh, well, then it's going to be great. Aquafina is talented. I, I, she's she's it's good. It's fine, but I mean, it's it's an animated movie. I mean, okay. I I I I am. I like that the little like armadillo thing is like huge at the end. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm glad they're not doing that cute little animal crap. Oh, and, it's the cute big animal. Yeah, the cute crap. big animal. Hey, you know, similar but different. Um, but. Can but no, imagine, but it's like can you imagine how uncute all but the like you have the cricket in Mulan, up. you have the chicken in Moana, you have what Olaf and Frozen. I mean, it's always that I'm just saying. Olaf's such a cute animal. No, but it's just like that cute little sidekick. Like Disney always has the cute sidekick. Yeah. Except for Mater, basically. <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> Special needs psych. Okay, I was waiting for that. Uh, uh, Netflix Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, trailer with Chadwick Boseman's last film. Uh, I just wrote in all caps: Oscar bait. You, they are begging for the. I, I mean, they are Viola Davis just chewing all the scenery. Well, and almost Ch- all. And Chadwick Boseman, who, from what I'm understanding, has damn near a lead role, so they're gonna push for him to get a posthumous whatever yeah and um because he's black panther he could get it whether he deserves it or not who the hell knows kind of forever um but um you know this is like one of august wilson's what 10 plays of which only two were made into movies beforehand i think century cycle or yeah it was like one of the first i said it was one of the first ones but it's the only one not set in pittsburgh right and so I assume that that includes that's the piano lesson among other movies. Yeah, is that so? Okay, you know, I mean, Ma Rainey's a highly influential character. Yeah, but I, I'm assuming I did not see the preview, but I can only assume that she's just like I'm really gonna act in this movie. Yeah, I mean, she's good, but it's like what's crazy is they were interviewing her and they wanted her to play Ma Rainey, and she's like, yeah, you know, I always kind of see myself as. I always she said something like I always see myself as twenty eight like that's what something she said but she didn't say it in the way of like I seem twenty eight but it's like I think it was almost a thing of you got to have that attitude in this business yeah uh but so she's fifty five and Ma Rainey in nineteen twenty four is thirty eight 
And it's just like, yeah, you know, different time back then. Because if you look at pictures... 38 was old as fuck. Yeah, you look at Ma Rainey when she was 38 back, those pictures, she looks, yeah, she looks old. (laughs) And it's just like, that's hard living. Yes. That's hard living. Yes. Uh, And you you, want to know why did people in that business only live, they were lucky to make it to 50. Yeah, Charlie Parker, what, 34 heroin overdose? mm -hmm. I mean, he was born a little later, obviously, but, you know... uh, but uh, it like it just seems like all the money went to Viola and Chadwick because I didn't recognize anybody else in this trailer, and the trailer seems like it only took place in like three rooms. <laughs> well, it's a play, so this, yeah, this, it, this it, well, and we'll talk about another one, but it shouldn't be that expensive to do just because, you know, it it was a play, mm-hmm. and you know who's to say what the budget was on this. I mean, because yeah, it was. Who knows? It's probably like twenty, twenty-five million dollars. Oh, it it, it might have been less. Talent, you're paying talent. Yeah, but at the same time, if no, like no, a, but if no, but if they are, I don't think Viola Davis is getting five million dollars to do a film. She's just not. She's not that sort of. No, nah, I just don't see it. You didn't see her whole thing like pay me what I'm worth. You didn't see her whole thing like about that. I all here's, here's no, what no, I'm no, no, no. She had this. No, she had this great interview. She, no, hold on. She has a great interview where her agents and her managers and like studio execs I want to hire like, wow, you're you're Meryl Streep. You're you're so and so. You're this. You're that. Just talk. She's like, fine. Then pay me what I'm worth. So what actors? Now I'm not saying she's making ten million dollars. I'm not right. saying, it. but like she, this is not a scale. She's getting paid five hundred grand. I I guarantee you that's not the case. But she's not getting paid substantially more than that. I don't think. I would say she's probably getting paid three or four million dollars. Okay. I, uh, easily. I would probably... She's got hardware. I mean, hardware gets you money. It gets you paid. I'm just saying... I But but this is not a um, movie that... You know, she was in Suicide Squad. More people saw Suicide Squad that are going to see this. Yeah, probably. I mean... And, and I'm just saying that this is... This is one of those Oscar Beatty films that everyone is like, sure, let's see it. Mm-hmm. But if this, first of all, it's an August Wilson play, so that comes with a level of prestige. And is Netflix right? Mm-hmm. Netflix is chasing prestige. Yep. Um, but at the when same, they should, like I but, said, before. but at the same time, they're going to look at this and say, well, what sort of subscriber lift is this? Is this really going to bring to the forefront? And I'm sure they're going to say, yeah. Probably minimal, um, in and of itself. Therefore, okay, we'll throw money at it. Um, but, I mean, fine. I'm just. Uh, but uh, yeah, I assume it's extremely Oscar Beatty. Yeah. So. Um, no, I'm just saying, like you know. I don't think she's getting paid crazy money. It's just some actors that get paid like money, money to be in somewhat prestige projects. I think Viola Davis, she's 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 no longer doing the the five two hundred fifty grand the seven hundred fifty grand for a prestige movie. She's just not doing that. I just don't think she's doing that anymore. She doesn't have to. Uh, but the thing about Netflix chasing prestige, what Netflix needs to be doing is chasing genre movies. Like that's what they need to go after. Genre four quadrant films. Oh, you're looking up her net worth. But uh, what's what? How much? Uh, they say her net worth. I mean, this is very broad. Eleven million dollars. They think she makes about two million a year. 
Oh, well, stand corrected then. No, but that was from 2018. That was when she was doing the TV show. Oh, How to Get Away with Murder? Yeah. Lord have mercy. The less we say about that, the better. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of How to Get Away with Murder, Shonda Rhimes was in the news. Good God. Uh, so there was a story that came out that you brought up. So Shonda Rhimes essentially left Highest ABC. Highest paid actresses 2020. Here we go. Oh, Lord. No, hold on. Shonda Rhimes left oh, ABC. Wait, hold on. What? Who is the, who do you think the highest paid actress is in 2020? It's not Sandy, is it? No. It's not J-Law? Nope. It is uh, Sofia Vergara, 43 million. Oh, because the last season of Modern Family... Uh, followed by Angelina Jolie at 35 and a half. Maleficent. The, the Eternals. Oh, um, yeah. Gal Gadot, 31 and a half. Melissa McCarthy, 25. Meryl Streep, 24. Emily Blunt, 22. Emily, but you go, Emily Blunt. She owned Trump. Okay, they're Wilson, saying Viola Davis made $15.5 million, makes a list for the first time, thanks to seven figure checks from her roles as Annalise Keating and Ma Rainey. Okay, she must have made a ton of money. I stand corrected. You heard it here. You heard it here on the podcast. Called that shit. That's a lot of money. Um, so Shonda Rhimes left ABC over a dispute over a Disneyland ticket for her sister, which then included nanny. the nanny and children. Um, Some VIP pass or something. Yeah, an all-inclusive park pass. I'll let you go because you're the one who told me about this. You wanted me to add this to the both people. The so so, um, Shonda Rhimes supposedly was calling all over the place to, um, to get these VIP tickets for these people, and they got to the gate and uh, it didn't work. They only had one, and no, we can't get you another one. And she. She said, yeah, I'm done. I'm out. Well, so she also claimed that an executive she was on the phone with... So basically, yeah. Shauna Rhimes has an all-inclusive park ticket. She's pretty. She's a big wedding at ABC. ABC is owned by Disney. Thus, thus, she is a pretty important employee for the Walt Disney Company. Um, so she has an all-inclusive pass to go to Disney Parks. And she asked for the same all-inclusive pass for her sister, which took a while to get so she actually got it for her sister but then she showed up with her sister the nanny and her sister's children and she wanted like more and that was when they shut her down and said no and then she claimed that the executive she was on the phone with said something along the lines of don't you have enough and then that's when she called her agent she said get me the netflix i'm not gonna be here anymore so shonda rhimes and she signed with Netflix for $300 million. So what what was her deal that she had with... She had a substantial deal with ABC. In terms of the stuff she produced or... What is what is a VIP pass cost for a day to go to Disney? 300 bucks, Something like that? What is Shonda, 500 max. Okay, what is Shonda Rhimes' time worth? You just signed a $300 million deal over I don't know how many years... But the reality is she makes the amount, you know, she's making tens of thousands of dollars dollars a day in the time it takes for her to sit on the can and take a shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she's going to get all up in arms about this. That said, oh, I mean, 
both sides here don't are, look good. Are, are ridiculous. Um, this is typical corporate incompetence on Disney's part, park. Um, because, you know, you work for a large organization getting anything done like this, which requires exceptions. It's just it's just hard and it's a pain in the ass. So to to get to that point, it's like this is so difficult. Um, you know, it, it's hard. I could see that at the same time, um, Disney handle your shit. Um, these are, this is your talent. On the other side, it's, Hey Shonda, if you wanted five tickets, negotiate that ahead of time. In your contract. And two, you know, are you really this fucking petty? I don't know if she is. Entitled? Yeah. Well, I don't know if she is, but the reality is she was on her way out anyway. I mean, she was going to Netflix. She yeah. was not sticking with ABC. Right. And for her to say, I left because of this ticket, it's, it's it not true. Incredibly, yeah. It's, it's not true that that's why you left. Now, could that be the last straw of a whole bunch of other... Um, could that be the last straw of a whole bunch of other, uh, you know... I'm just glad when I read the article, I didn't, I didn't see the narrative I thought I was going to see. Um, that it was racial or that it was sexist or anything like that. I'm just glad I didn't see that. No, just, but I mean, it just kind of seemed like a uh, boss employee. She just didn't like it. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm glad it was written that way, and it wasn't like you know they didn't try and put any bullshit in there. But but I, yeah, I guess I guess my, my other. I mean, when this does speak to the question that the Disney person asked. Don't you have enough? Um, it's like you are shockingly wealthy. Like you need more free shit. Okay, fine. If if that's the way you're gonna go, the level of entitlement by some of these people is pretty amazing. But you know, she's used to people kissing her ass. So if someone doesn't get up there and smooch the brown eye like she's used to. She's gonna react negatively to it, um, so I just, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you want to go to Jared Leto, or you want to go to? Bond? I don't understand. We can talk about Jared Leto. All I right. have no. I do not understand. So Jared Leto is gonna reprise his Joker role. Uh, from Suicide Squad and Zack Snyder's Snyder had Justice some, League cut for HBO Max, the Snyder cut. Because Snyder had some influence in the Suicide Squad movie. He directed a scene. There was an action scene that he directed. He was on set. Uh, but the Joker was never a part of the original plans for Justice League parts one or two. So this is really getting to, he's making is like... Is he trying to make an, uh, like a brand new a film? universe? I don't know, but it's like he's putting him in it, and you know it's. So I've I mean, read somewhere not, that they're speculating he's going to jail break uh, Deathstroke out of jail. Yeah, because Joe Manganiello scene. is like coming back now, and mm-hmm. they're going to like film scenes with him, and it's like, look, Joe Manganiello is a he's a nice dude, you know, <laughs> nice guy plays D and D, and he's trying to get a D and D movie made, and so good for him. Joe Manganiello is not a he's not a very good actor. He's 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 just he's all right, and looks good. He's married to Sofia Vergara. He's making some good choices, but like, 
You know, I remember him he's, as he's making good choices. I'm, you know, I'm. I remember him as Flash Thompson. Who's, who's choosing, by the way, in that situation? Who's choosing? Who's choosing who? That is a good point. <laughs> Sophia Vergara. It's Joe? two like incredibly good looking people. It's like yeah. Who's yeah. choosing who anyway? Uh, but it's like you know, I remember him as Flash Thompson in two thousand two in Spider Man two thousand two. Yeah, that's him. Same dude. <laughs> Cut the hair short, spike okay. it up, and remove the beard. That is him. Okay. Uh, he was Big Dick Richie in Magic Mike. And, uh, yeah. And uh, he, I'm trying to think, like, what else What else was he really, like, effective in? Where he's, like, he was he, obviously effective in Sofia Vergara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was pretty good. Uh <laughs> Uh, but like so there just but besides the point, my only two bullet points for the Jared Leto were more money sunk into this project and Jared Leto is the least like Joker ever. Tell me he gets the damage tattoo removed from him. Yeah, that, and that I mean you know, I really don't think his performance was that terrible. But they Yeah, all six minutes of it. Well yeah, it, it really wasn't terrible. It was kind of just honestly it was kind of forgettable. Like I was like, Okay, here's Joker. But it's like, uh, the problem with that was that casting was blown up since the moment it 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 happened. Like as soon as he signed on, he was like, Jared Leto, last film he won an Oscar. He's gonna he's gonna do this. He talked about method. He's sending like dead rats to cast members. He sent a used condom and to in, somebody. And he's in it he's, for six minutes. He's so method. It's like da 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 da. He's yeah, barely he's, in it. He's barely in it. And I still contend the movie should have been just the Suicide Squad going after Joker. It didn't need all that Enchantress crap. It should have just been them. It should have just been them going after Joker. Was, but the dance was so good. Oh, yeah, it was great. Uh, that's all it should have been. You know, it's Cara Delevingne, right? Who the f- She's a model. Explain a her model appeal. Eyebrows. And she's supposedly she's like bi. I don't know. Uh, Who's No, yeah. She was she was hooking up with... Uh, Cindy, yeah, she was hooking up with some chick. No, Cindy Crawford's a daughter. Really? Kaya Gerber. Cindy Crawford, does she look like how Cindy Crawford looked back in the day? For, I'm, I would, for, I would, I'm asking for a friend. So, so she's young. Like she's probably 20. Because she was, um, so she was, as soon as she turned 18, she was uh, hooking it up with, who's, uh, who's, um, who's, who's the dude who's the king of New Jersey guy who was on Saturday Night Live? Oh, Pete Davidson? He yeah. got with her? Yeah. How was he? <laughs> He's like with Kate Beckinsale and this other girl? And what, Ariana Grande for a minute? Yeah, and Ariana, oh my God, this guy. <laughs> this guy. Coxman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, Johnny Horsecock, yeah, rolling. So, so if you look up Kaya Gerber, she is uncomfortably skinny oh. um, when you look at her. That said, yeah, I mean, she models, and yes, I mean, she takes after her mom. And one could argue that... Kaya um, Gerber? K-A-I-A-I-A-I-A-I, something or other. Yeah, I mean, she's she's attractive young lady. But she and Cara Delevingne were hooking it up. But, I mean, she's kind of a mess. How did Kaya Gerber and Cara Delevingne become friends? It's like, like some article. I know how they became real good friends. You ever see Black Swan? Uh, but it, I think that... They were ballerinas together? Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman. I know. Oh, they okay. were, but Black Swan, they were ballerinas. 
Yeah, okay. I thought you were, like, genuinely asking the question. No. Um, Fuck. <laughs> it's almost two in the morning. I know. No. Uh, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's like you said, more dumb money. Um, you know, I know Jared Leto, he's unhappy with how the Joker turned out and how his, a lot of his scenes were cut in Suicide Squad, but it's like, dude, if you were in more of that movie, do you really think it would have saved the film? I, I, but what I'm trying to figure out is the purpose of putting him in there is Maybe what? flashback scene where he actually kills the Joker? I mean, I don't know. Or kills uh, Robin, I mean. Yeah, I, I just... Eh. It's I'm. I mean, Warner Brothers is just. I feel like they're just getting taken for a ride right now. Like, and they're just saying uh, yes to like but, everything. But but listen, we talk about it. Is it going to cause people to proactively? Sign? No. You don't think? To proactively activate an HBO, HBO Max? Max. You're talking about the Snyder Cut in general. The Snyder Cut in general. No. I you think it, I, some people sure, but it's. I don't think it's going to be material. I don't think it's going to have any significant. I think it will, in that weird way of doing things, yeah, it will get a handful of people to sign on. A couple million. Sure. If it, especially if it's like, no, this is actually okay. The marketing, how they market it is going to, is going to be make or break. Because you have to convince, you have to educate people. No, this is not the same shitty film that came out three and a half years ago. This is a reimagining, recut version that's better. And you're going to have to communicate that through a bunch of marketing. I'm just saying. Uh, next thing I had, Stephen Daldry exits uh, the Wicked movie musical adaptation. Man, oh man. Which has been in development ever since, like, Hell. 2010. Hell. Yeah. Uh, so it was interesting. I was um, reading it. So the movie mounted more quickly than Daldry was comfortable moving. Also, there was a shortage of stage space in London that will make it not possible to shoot the film there, something that was important to Daldry. Uh, have they, ca- they haven't cast it yet, have they? No. Uh, when the musical first began pre-production, so this was like back in 2010, a lot of filmmakers were interested. J.J. Abrams, James Mangold, Ryan Murphy, oh, and Rob Marshall. And it seems like the only eh, good films Rob, Rob Marshall, Marshall... I mean, the only good, fil- the only good films of his filmography are musicals. Chicago and Into the Woods. Memoirs of a Geisha Girl he did, and that was okay. Yeah, okay. You probably didn't see it. No, it was fine. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but, y- y- wait, Rob Marshall, didn't he do uh, Dream Girls, right? No, I don't think he did. No, he did Chicago. He did Chicago, he did Into the Woods. Into the Woods. And he also did Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Oh, God. I mean, Penelope Cruz was in it, so there was one good thing, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think of like Charlie Rose, your sexuality. <laughs> um, you, see, you see the Bill Hader Charlie Rose impression. So what do you do? <laughs> and, you know when do you know that it's time to go? Like it's just this, like like that move. Uh, but no, I mean go ahead on um, Wicked. I think uh, just leave it. Let it be. This is universal. Mm-hmm. Why are you? I I would think that rushing to make a musical movie, a movie based on a theatrical musical. He did nine. He did the movie the nine nine that that was like nine a musical. times. That yeah, was a musical. No. 
Um, um, you know the last musical, or theatrical uh, musical that you know that was turned into a movie was that Universal is attached to. Okay, go ahead. Um, you were saying... The last movie musical that uh, Universal, Universal did. did. So not movie musical, but movie that was based on a theatrical musical production. And Was it Cats? Yes. Okay. And so based upon that, why would you look to rush another one? Especially one that's been in development hell. Um, For over 10 years. I, I, also, I also really question... Um, you know what makes Wicked really effective is as a as a musical stage show. So we have both seen it. Um, is the way that um, the staging of it, especially the end of the first act, and I could only see them if making this way too big, like literally she's singing "Defying Gravity." In like, front of thousands and ten, oh, use yes. the massive surrender, Dorothy, on just like huge whatever, and it's like no, that's not. I mean, that's not the point. I I wonder a if lot of defying be, a lot of defying gravity is the awe that you feel because of what they're able to do on the stage, right? Right. So go ahead. I I wonder if based on Hamilton. Um, they, I wonder if they really change it and make it much more stagey. Um, probably not. I'm, I'm just, th- well, this is really going to be bad because I dug Wicked a lot, uh, the show and I dug the musical numbers. Um, and I'm pretty sure when they come out with this movie, it's going to suck. <laughs> and and that's too bad. Yeah, no, that, yeah. <laughs> no, that sucks. Uh, and, and and unfortunately, like you know, who who is it? Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel were, were were the two main characters in it, and I would say they both sort of aged out of that role by right. this point. I mean, it's been seventeen years. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like it's been a long it's time. It's probably going to be the twentieth anniversary of the stage show when this finally comes out. Right. And um, and who knows, you know, Dina Menzel might be doing Frozen 3 by that time. Oh, God. Um, God willing. Uh, you know, I just, yeah, I just, just don't make it. Just don't, just don't. No, do no, they can't, they can't not make it. It will, yeah. it, it, it must be done. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be played. <laughs> it can't be played. Um, no, it, don't, it, don't touch it. it don't it, look at it. It has to be done. Because they've got the rights and it will be made. And uh, I'm, you know, it's really unfortunate because it's, it, it is, is this level of we've got this show that a lot of people really like. And then a lot of people really want to see a movie made of it. And no one's really going to be able to pull it off. And I, I, you know. Well, it's so hard to make a musical work in a movie setting because when you see the oh, they're just going to break out into song, like, mid-sentence. Like, that is always such a... But father! That is always such a... <laughs> that is always such a hurdle. 
Like, I know it's a hurdle for me. It's like, all right, you got to convince me, like, this is a real thing. So Chicago kind of gets around it because it's like, yeah, this is kind of what's going on. Dreamgirls did it well. Yeah, Dreamgirls did it well. Uh, Well, that helps because, like, it's a, you know, there are singers and a lot of their stuff is like a recording session and then they'll go to the live performance. But even the songs that they do where they are singing to each other, they bring a song, it is done very well. But, like, Chicago gets around it because it's very much like, and this is what's happening in the real world, and this is kind of like their almost like subconscious like performing so that's kind of how they do that la la land i think gets around it in the sense that the songs are just really fucking good in la la land but also just a lot of the theme a lot of the thematic like uh there's not very big operatic showstopper things in la la land when it's like ah, you know it's not like that it's very kind of like just this very mellow type of thing throughout the whole thing there's no like big 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 number the audition number that emma stone does is really good but even that they do the chicago thing of the background goes yeah, but, black around but, her but and... la la land was not a stage show exactly and it's the conversion of a stage show to and i uh, think that was some of the problem with late miz too oh my god is, is tom hooper even working anymore i mean has <laughs> he done anything since then yeah he did Danish girl, and then he did cats. Yes, he did. He did fucking cats. You after didn't know he sh- did cats? No, I'm realizing it now. But after <laughs> he shit the bed with Les Mis. Danish oh girl God. won, you know, Alicia Vikander won an Academy Award. Um, well, she's award winning worthy, yeah. generally. She, yeah, of course. Uh, but it's. But yeah, I mean, I didn't see Into the Woods. I'm trying to think. What? I saw it. Oh, the movie? Was it good? Yeah. Um, So, you'd like this. Uh, There's a married couple in it, played by... James Corden and Anna Kendrick? No. James Corden and uh, your girl. Oh, Emily Blunt, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, what's what's the... Why would I like that? Because you'd be like, what's this oaf doing with Emily Blunt? With Emily Blunt? (laughs) Yeah. What's up with that? Uh... You know, um, I've I've had it I've had it about up to fucking here with James Corden. I've had a little too much of James Corden. It's, I mean, little of him goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, I respect the hustle though. He's doing all these movies while still doing late night. I mean, I respect the hustle, but I, I understand. But he's so energetic about everything. Best thing, like, you ever watched the Graham Norton show? I I've seen that. Oh, Graham stuff. Norton show is great. Because what's great about Graham Norton show is it's once a week, it's every Friday, one hour, and like you said, goes a long way. The problem with James Corden, he's on, he's on four fucking nights a week. <laughs> and everything is so... Well, oh, the, that's brilliant. The that's good brilliant. news is... Oh my, you're really going for it, aren't you? <laughs> I, I haven't watched traditional network television in what feels like years and life couldn't be better right yes <laughs> so I, I i definitely miss him but you basically stopped watching after dave was done right a cer- certainly late night television yeah, yeah. i i don't oh, but watch... you're talking about network television in general well yeah i mean i just yeah but yeah late night television i need jimmy kimmel and then i still watch james Jordan. gordon Conan is, I think once Conan's done, I, I think I'm going to be done. Because I have no interest in Jimmy Fallon. Seth Meyers is stumping for the lefties. And it's just, it's like. 
Oh my god! And and the dude who took over Letterman's show on CBS. Oh, Colbert. Oh my god! It's it's like some sort of but it's fucking the, revival meeting. It's the same thing of the SNL when we didn't talk about this on the podcast, but we talked about it over the phone. Where SNL was, they were the anti-establishment, right? Yes. Back in the seventies yes. and early eighties. Yes. yes. And then they slowly became the establishment. Right. And Dave. In the 80s and 90s, and really till he was done, but it more Yeah, died it became down. more established. Dave was, he didn't, I wouldn't even say he became more established, it just, a lot of his. It was crit- like a non A lot show. of his critiques became less. Yes. Uh, edgy. Yes. Yeah. And well, whereas, he had that quad bypass and yeah, know, he sort of like. Uh, and, and the thing is, it's like, you know, when he's on the 80s, as, as you like to call it, the, can you believe they gave us a show era? Yes. Um, it's the greatest. And it's it's almost like, can you just believe these fucking idiots that are, like, calling the shots? That's basically what it was. And I think Conan... Uh, Somewhat. What you're well, saying, well he, he knows... I'm not saying Conan he is... He knows... No, but Conan is self-aware enough to know that the fact that he is successful, it's all just kind of a big joke. Yeah. And so, so there's that aspect to it where Stephen Colbert is just like, he, he was the, he was the guy that was like killing people on the Colbert report. And then, yes. And then then he just, what sort of, what show am I, what show is this? But whatever. Well, like what, what got me with Stephen Colbert was like, he had Bill Burr on and Bill Burr had a joke about there was a woman who was dressed like a construction worker and he was like, yeah, and she was, you know, she was a lesbian or whatever. And like she had it, she had to be in the way she was looking at it, the way she was looking at me. Da, da. And Colbert was like, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe she was a construction worker. And Bill Burr's like, she, she wasn't or whatever. But it's the fact that Colbert just would not engage would. with the joke at all. Right. And it's like, right. dude, come on. He's a comedian. Let him but, do his thing. But, but think about that. That is the... <clears throat> that is the establishment, right? I know, yeah. Those, the, all those places are the establishment. Right. Um, but the thing with Conan is, Conan isn't really doing that so much, but the thing on, with, like, TBS just lets him do, like, anything. So the thing about Conan... Because <laughs> TBS is... Cause TBS, TBS would have five people watching that time slot if not for him being on there. Right. <laughs> and, but the thing with Conan is, like, Conan and his remotes, it's not so much that... I just think he has fun just doing stuff with other people and it's almost like that whole thing of like don't you just feel good when people are like having a good time almost but with him it's great because he just goes to these other countries when he does these long form whatever like just learning about all these different cultures and it's like it's he it just seems like he's like he's like yeah they let me do whatever and this is what i kind of like doing yeah uh and ever even when they shorten his format to 30 minutes it's it's really great because they just remove that skit. Like, yeah, okay, there's gonna there's no more Wiki Bear and the musical. Well, that's a tragedy. Yeah, but, but Wiki Bear's great. <laughs> did they still have a musical actor? No. 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 Yeah. So so that's always fluff. Yeah. So it's I feel like still feel like I'm getting the same whatever. And when he whenever he's got Tim Oliphant or Norm McDonald or Norm. Bill Burr or, or uh, Jeff Goldblum on there, I'll tune in. <laughs> then, those are those then, are the four horsemen. Then right Norm there. can do the moth joke, and that'll take up the whole half. Uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, and then uh, 
but you know, those are like the four horsemen of the of the Conan of the Conan guests. Like seriously, if you look at the comments on YouTube videos, it's like we need this to happen before Conan retires. Is to have all four of them on and just let them go. Oh, they will. Uh, I mean, Norm did Norm did his bit what the last week? God, was it the last couple of days of Dave's show? Oh yeah, and he almost broke down. In, yeah, I like, think he two. pretty much did. And it was yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I was over there. Yeah, yeah, nah. you know, you, 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 yeah, I, you know, I don't know if you know anything about history. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Hitler decided to go to war, and it wasn't just with one or two countries. He decided to go with the world. And you're like, how far could that last? I could, uh, pretty close. Right. <laughs> you think the world beat up on him real easily? No, 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 it was close. <laughs> All right. Do, yeah, do yourself a favor and watch the Norm Macdonald uh, on Dave Letterman bit. Very, I mean, I'm a huge Norm Macdonald aficionado. Uh, yeah, so. I know. Or Norm Macdonald jokes. Yes, on jokes. His, on his podcast. Yes, Norm Macdonald jokes, jokes. on his podcast. Uh, for but, sure. All right, the next story I had, uh, Jeremy Strong to play biographer John Gruen in Bradley Cooper's Leonard Bernstein Maestro. At Netflix, so the the main reason I put this on is because I've heard about Bradley. This is Bradley Cooper's going to direct and star as Leonard Bernstein. Uh, uh, Bradley Cooper's yeah. playing Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, so Jeremy Strong, who pretty hot name right now, um, <laughs> he he won an Emmy for Succession. He just had a bunch of critical acclaim for playing Jerry Rubin in the Trial of Chicago Seven. Um, you know who's he playing? The bi- biographer John Gruen in this. So he plays Bernstein's. It's a biography. It's a bio movie of Leonard So it's going to be like a frame story. Biographer. It's going to be like a frame story of like. So it's like interview. Be is old, it like interview of the vampire? Interviewing him, and then the movie's going to be like. It's like Salieri being. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just like well, 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 this is this is classic um, Hollywood stuff. Because Leonard Bernstein really extreme talent on but, the waterfront, but banana, won, but but like one of the best score, silly around. leftist sort of dude, <laughs> and uh, you know the Hollywood loves a great leftist who wants to change the world. Right. Uh, that said, you know West Side Story, young people's whatever orchestra thing, and yeah, you said on the waterfront, um, you know, but but he also was accused of being a communist, right? And so you know. A lefty was accused. Yeah, can can you believe that? Um, um, uh, but but he, um, but it'll be interesting to see because this dude was you know Tom Wolfe did a did a great uh, uh, essay that, that was very long about um, Leonard. This Leonard, is radical chic, Tom Wolfe. Radical, okay. exactly. It's the radical chic, which is a story uh-huh. about Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, that's host, right. Leonard Bernstein. I read that chapter. Hosting a Black Panther uh, party. And and the ridiculousness of uh, him when he hosted this Black Panther party because he wanted to show that he was down for the cause and and one of his biggest he concerns, was woke right one of his biggest concerns is that because Leonard Bernstein was just very you know he's wealthy but he was you know one of the leading cultural people he in was Jewish in, right in, in, you think okay. in in New in New York City um, at the time and you know. The article commented about how there was a lot of racking in his brain that the multitude of servants that he had, he had to make sure they were white um, for when they hosted 
the Black Panthers because he thought it would be a bad look. And this what, is like what the seventies? Uh, sixty nine. Sixty nine. Um, so if you if you know if you have an opportunity to read, I love Tom Wolfe. Uh, um, write stuff. Uh, fantastic book. <clears throat> that and Bonfire the Vanity is probably what he's most known for. But he wrote this essay. I want to say for New York Magazine, maybe in like uh, around nineteen seventy. But and honestly, it is the thing about it, rad- it is the, the thing most about biting. It, it is extremely timely. Yeah, biting satire. <laughs> but it's is fifty years. It could be written today. Yeah, but and that's the thing. The thing about radical chic, and I'm sure you know when Jordan Peele did Get Out, a lot of he said the critique people, a lot of uh, reviewers didn't get really his message correct. Because they're like, yeah, the, you know, it's about these closet races out there. It's like, not really. Jordan Peele came out and said it's more about the white moderate, you know? Because a lot of these people, you know, the... the I'd, the, I'd the, have voted for Obama. Yeah, I would have. Exactly. It's like, it's really the white moderate that speaks in this way that tries to almost, you know, be like, yeah, you know, I would have, like, this over, above and beyond type of thing. And, like, you know, but... uh yeah, like honestly, if people like if you don't know what radical chic, read the radical yeah. chic by Tom Wolfe. It is like they're wrong in because it's a book of like his articles, right? No, no, no. The radical chic was probably an essay that is probably no, but the book you showed me. Yeah, yeah, it's but his stuff. Right, right. I think it came out. There were two. There's a short book that there was. It was initially a magazine, a long form magazine article that was republished into a book called The Radical Chic and Mau Mauing the Flack Catchers, which is something about totally different. Okay. But, but this is probably a 30 or 40 page essay in a book. Um, but it is, yeah. I mean, he is a fantastic, he's just a fantastic writer. And um, it is, you want to talk about cutting and just, you know, exposing hypocrisy in the most at the core, yeah, at, in, in in the funniest way, um, in the belly of the beast, basically. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Because he's in the Upper West Side or whatever. But but the scoop about Leonard Bernstein is like Leonard Bernstein was kind. I, I mean, beyond his leftism, uh, you know, he's kind of a kind of a piece of shit. You know, he was married and had three kids, and like uh, supposedly just screwed around all over with you know a bunch of dude. I mean. He, he was a piece of shit because he came out as homosexual, but you know, one would argue that he was sort of a Harvey Weinsteinish sort of uh, character uh, in his career with uh, you know dudes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's weird. One would think that someone like Leonard Bernstein, who um, carries the cultural weight he carried in the twentieth century, I I'd argue that he was probably uh, the most influential classical composer um you know probably the 20th century um it's funny because when we were learning about leonard bernstein freshman year at uf they didn't mention that what do you mean they mentioned that he came out as gay i didn't know he was you know screwing around with dudes about oh no his his, his, his guys are kind of no yeah i mean yeah no he did well but but you're also not gonna I mean, look, I have a problem at any time when you try and sugarcoat things when you're teaching stuff to kids. Like if, if, hey, if somebody did something that was a shitty move, just be honest. Like, hey, uh, JFK, great guy. Marilyn Monroe blew him in his pool. It happened. Like, I don't, it wasn't Marilyn Monroe. It was this other young girl. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> All right. Um, 
But oh, that's right, because he like she blew him and his brother, right? One minute, stop you. <laughs> yes, something like that. Which you know, hey, they partied in the sixties. Um, but go ahead. No, but but you're like, why did it take so long? Because he died in I want to say nineteen eighty or something like that, and it's like, so why did it take so long to have this super influential guy for something to be made? I mean, West Side Story is like extremely well known it's probably because it's like yeah if you're gonna actually be honest about everything it's not gonna come across too favorable so if they make this story as being okay he's a complex character good and bad great 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 but if they turn him into the second coming of Jesus uh, because of his political leanings um, then yeah fuck that I'm good (laughs) <laughs> don't need to see it but it's Hollywood so who knows well I think a lot big part of it is Netflix wants to retain that talent I guess because Jeremy Strong has so much well praise. and that cast is I think the people associated with this is who else is in it oh shit I saw some, I saw someone else was attached to well uh, so covering well, the, the Cohen, behind the scenes wasn't isn't Spielberg attached to this as well or might he might be a producer one? but co-written by Bradley Cooper and Josh Josh Singer so Josh Singer wrote Co-wrote Spotlight, won the Academy Award. No, he also wrote the Post of Birdman. Who's who's the girl that I was hyping up in that movie? She's playing um, uh, his wife. The girl you were hyping up in that movie. She's she's in the uh, not single white female, but something like that. The one about the 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 black comedy that we talked about last week. Uh, blonde girl who was in um, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, yeah, she she just signed on. Okay, that's right. Yeah. I do. I still do want to see that movie or a promising young woman yeah yeah <laughs> single white female let's pull some movie that has nothing to do with it that's got a that has got, got a similar title from 1992 two adjectives and a girl yeah uh sure. all right so last story mgm was looking to sell james, oh yeah the james james bond to the no time to die to streaming services for 600 million dollars how hurting is mgm right now uh, yeah they're probably hurting pretty bad Six hundred million for a movie, and they couldn't get takers. Nope. And there's dumb well, money. The thing out there. is, the thing is, even if there were takers, Eon would have had to sign off on it, and the promotional partnerships would have had to been okay with it. And streamers don't want Jay's Bond is a movie theater. So that is movie? a four quadrant movie. If there ever was, that is a four quadrant IP. If there ever was one, it's it, James Bond is like. It's been around for almost 60 years. Like, there's a reason it's been around. Yeah. It makes money. Um, and, and, and I don't think that... Um, if it, First of all, no one was willing to buy it. Mm-hmm. Second of all, even if they did, I think it would tarnish the brand. Um, oh, yeah. That said, is James Bond a brand? How good is James Bond as a brand? I mean, In it 2020. was... It was as high as it could have been after Skyfall. And then Spectre just just kicked it in the balls. Spectre's the one that had the Day of the Dead opening, right? Yeah, that was the one that with was the like Sam the killer Smith. opening. Sam well, Stone Hentai even. thing. Oh, God. Yeah. Fucking Sam Smith. How do you how do you how do you I just And now we got now we got Okay, okay. Sorry, and now we got Miss Enthusiasm uh, singing this other one, right? Who? Oh, Billy. <laughs> Billy Eilish. Yeah. Miss Enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah. Her bubbly personality. 
<laughs> you know, she the, is talented. There's nothing more appealing than having the look of a dead person. On <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that was all with the day. But the thing is that, I mean, Spectre, that is a movie that starts pretty high and just nosedives throughout the whole. That movie does not come up at all. Like that starts. Who, who directed that? Uh, Sam Mendes, same guy. Okay. Same guy who directed uh, Skyfall. Uh, but remember, you told me about that like four months before it came out. I'm like, yeah, you know, Spectre's coming out. You're like, ooh, I don't feel too good about Spectre. You know, there was an article about that. I'm like, ah, get out of here. It's the same guy. It's going to be fine. It's like, no, they're having some budget problems on a James Bond movie. I'm like, what do you mean? Don't they set aside like $200 million? Yeah, they're having budget problems <laughs> on a James Bond movie. And it was like, yeah, they needed like six hundred million to break even and made about eight fifty, but even then they weren't satisfied. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Skyfall made one point one billion in twenty twelve. Yeah. You know, like that that you know, that, that was before think you had Avengers, Dark Knight Rises, and you had Skyfall all in the same year. Um, but that was before you had like seven movies a year making a billion dollars. Well, you, I mean, if you go back into the 80s, there's some, like, uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters came out the same year. I mean, 84 was like a screw. Monster year. First, Didn't first Thriller Gre- come out in 84, too? 83. Gremlins 83. came out in 84. There's a lot of stuff that came out. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, there's some big stuff. And 84, yeah, Back to the Future was 85. Um, but there's other, I mean, there were some huge, huge... I mean, Ghostbusters made a shit ton of money and Beverly Hills Cop made a shit ton of Beverly money. Beverly Hills was... The, Cop was the number one R-rated comedy until Hangover, right? Mm, R-rated comedy, I not guess, R-rated film. I guess. Because uh, now it's Joker. Joker made a billion dollars. Well, that's a comedy, right? No, I'm saying R-rated film, but yeah, sure, it's a comedy. Um, I laughed. What, when he shot De Niro in the face? <laughs> Sure. Funniest part of the movie. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you said it. I, I know. I don't know. I still think the part where he's dancing on the steps is, I still think that part's great. Yes. I mean, well, last year, doing this vacation last year, what was like one of the first things I pulled up? No, you got to see this video. It's great. I just saw Joker. They already got it. And I was doing the little, like, flicking yes, the cigarette. Yes, the cigarette yes. You were digging it. Um... And then I found uh, out Gary Glitter is like a total piece of shit. Yeah, he likes kids. <laughs> yeah. In that way. Yes. It's awful. Just awful. I think it's a good place to end it. Um, <laughs> no, um, oh, but, but hold on. I, I, I wonder, so, so, I, so MGM is not well capitalized. I mean, they, they are not that well capitalized, but they are desperate to try to get any money off of this to the point that I... Is this like, we don't even know if this movie we've made is any good, so we just got to have someone take it off our hands now? Or, no, I mean, once it gets in the theaters, we think it's fine, but we can't wait because we got creditors so far up our ass, we got to get money in. And With my money, man. Yeah, and so that's like the question. And um, I I don't know, um, I don't know, but this sort of gets back to my, all right, how are these other small movie theaters? Uh, you mean studios? Yeah, I mean, how are all these other small movie studios? Are they all sort of feeling it as well? No, probably not as sharply as MGM is. Yeah, I mean, but MGM's... I mean, 
Yeah, they hurt. But I think MGM, they're not a distributor. They are a production company. Right. Yeah, so I think Lionsgate, Lionsgate is like a big distributor. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was all I had. I don't know if you wanted to add anything else. I think this will go down as one of our shortest shows in the last few months. Well, it's like what? 2.30 in the morning? Yeah, 2.19 a.m. 2.19. So, if you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. So, we have listeners in the the UK, India, Singapore, Vietnam, uh, Germany, and... We're, we're yeah. worldwide. Worldwide. Uh, but at least that's what it says on the analytics page. So, yeah. Hey. Thank you all. Yeah, thanks for listening. And... And we'll bring a lot more energy uh, for the next show. Yeah, it's yeah, it's literally <laughs> two in the two in the morning. But uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the all around the dot all dot around. We've gained about thirty followers in the last two and a half weeks, which is great, awesome. Like follow us on Twitter at the all around at the underscore all underscore around. Uh, leave a five star rating. If yes, you want. please go on iTunes and leave a five star rating. And if you write a review, we will read it here on this podcast. Speaking of, actually, we got to read some reviews. We got cool. Uh, we got a few more reviews that uh, were pretty nice. Pretty nice. Feel free to ask questions. In the oh yeah, ask questions um, or give us topics you feel like need to be touched on. All right, so here we go. We got All Around Entertainment. From the NBA Finals to 1940s films, the All Around is the place to go for entertaining information across disciplines. Whether you're interested in the latest video game announcements or staying up to date on the movie industry, Alex and his co-hosts have you covered and will leave you feeling like an expert. Uh, All in one, I usually listen to three different podcasts to catch up on film, TV, gaming, and the NBA, but now I just listen to this one. Solid podcast. 10 out of 10 recommendations. Two words. Intelligent entertainment. Love these podcasts. Uh, There's also this one. uh, Best podcast that's ever been downloaded. This This podcast brings the heat. I'd give it 11 out of 10 stars if I could. Only recommendation is that Gary Thomas has a little romance and spice in here for the female listeners. So... That's the last one. Gary? Yes. Um, obviously, it's somebody who knows me, clearly. So, yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, what, I mean wh- why are you, you... You were embarrassed reading that. Well, I said I'd read every single one, and I did, and I did my part. So... All right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So, wait. Was that the surprise? <laughs> Oh, that I was mentioning earlier, like a few days ago? Yeah. Yeah, that was the one where I'm like, I'll just read it on there. I'm not going to read it out loud. Gary Thomas. All right. You ask people to do you a favor. It's all good. I know. They just troll you. Take advantage. They troll you. Yeah. Anyways, that'll do it. Uh, We'll be back with an NBA episode or a gaming episode next. We'll see what comes first. Peace. See.